This is part two of Anthroposophical Guidelines by Rudolf Steiner. Paragraph number 26. Only after the astral body has been laid aside, after the completion of the life judgment, does man enter into the spiritual world. Therein he stands in relation to the purely spiritual beings as he did on earth to the beings and processes of nature. In spiritual experiences, everything which was exterior to him becomes interior. He doesn't merely perceive the outer world, but he experiences it in its spirituality, which was hidden from him on earth as his inner world. Number 27. Man, as he is on the earth, becomes outer world in the spirit realm. One looks from there at the human being as one looks at the stars, clouds, mountains, rivers from the earth. And this outer world is no less rich in content than is the appearance of the cosmos when viewed from the earth. Number 28. The forces created by man's spirit in the spiritual realm continue to be active in the formation of the earthly man, just as the deeds carried out in physical life continue to be active as soul content in life after death. Number 29. What acts in enhanced imaginative cognition is what lives in man's psychic spiritual interior and forms his physical body. And on this foundation human existence unfolds in the physical world. The physical body, ever and again renewing itself in its metabolism, stands from birth, or rather conception, until death before the continuously unfolding inner human being, the physical space body becoming a time body. Number 30. In inspired cognition, imaginative images depict what the human being experiences in the time between death and a new birth in a spiritual environment. Here is visible what man is in a cosmic context, without his physical and etheric bodies, through which he lived out his earthly existence. Number 31. In intuitive cognition, the effects of previous incarnations on the present one enter consciousness. These previous incarnations in their further development, have erased the connection they once had with the physical world. They have become the pure spiritual core of the person, and as such are active in his current life. They are also an object of the cog cognition that is the result of the unfolding of imagination and inspiration. Number 32. In the human head, the physical organization 
is a copy of the spiritual individuality. The physical and etheric parts of the head stand as a self-contained image of the spiritual, and alongside them the astral and I parts stand as autonomous psychic spiritual being. Therefore, the human head represents a juxtaposition of the relatively autonomous, physical and etheric on one hand, and the astral and I organization on the other. <clears throat> Number 33. In the limbs metabolism system, the four members of the human being are intimately interconnected. The eye organization and the astral body are not alongside the physical and etheric parts. They are in them. They vivify them, activate their growth, capacity for movement, and so on. Therewith, however, the limb's metabolism is like an evolving seed which continually strives to become, quote, head, close quote at which is continually prevented from doing so during man's earthly life. Number 34. The rhythmic organization is in the middle. Here, the eye organization and the astral body alternately unite with and separate from the physical and etheric parts. The physical facsimile of this unification-separation process is breathing and blood circulation. The in-breathing process depicts unification. The out-breathing process, separation. The processes in arterial blood depict unification. The processes in venous blood, separation. <coughs> Number 35. We understand the physical human being only if we think of him as an image of the spiritual psychic. By itself, the hu physical human body is incomprehensible, but in its various members it is an image of the spiritual psychic in various ways. The head is the most perfect, complete sense image. Everything which comprises the metabolism limbs system is like an image whose form has not yet been fully realized, but is still being composed. Everything which belongs to the human rhythmic organization stands in respect to the relationship of the spiritual psychic to the physical between these contrapositions. Number 36. Whoever contemplates the human head from this viewpoint finds help in understanding spiritual imaginations. For in the head's form, imaginative forms are, so to speak, solidified to physical density. Number 37. In the same way, one can find help understanding inspiration by contemplating the rhythmic part of the human organization. The physical aspect of life's rhythms 
bears the character of inspiration as a sense image. In the metabolism and limbs system, one has, when one contemplates it in full action, in the development of its necessary or possible functions, a sensible, supersensible image of the purely supersensible intuitive. On the preceding guidelines about the image nature of man, it is of great importance that through anthroposophy it should be made clear that the ideas which one obtains by the observance of nature are inadequate for the contemplation of man. The way of thinking which has taken possession of human sentiment during the last centuries of spiritual evolution sins against this challenge. One becomes used to thinking about natural laws, and by means of these laws the natural phenomena observed by the senses are explained. One then looks at the human organism and thinks that it can also be explained by applying natural laws to it. This is like considering a picture which a painter created to be the same as the substance of the colors used, as the strength used to apply the colors to the canvas, or the method with which the colors are painted on the canvas, and similar viewpoints. But all this does not reveal what the picture manifests. Completely different principles live in what the picture manifests than can be obtained by those methods. One must be quite clear about the fact that in the human being something also manifests itself which is not comprehensible from the point of view of natural laws. If one is able to make this idea his own in the right way, then one will be able to understand the human being as image. In this sense a mineral is not image. It only manifests what the senses can directly perceive. With images, sense observation is directed through what is perceived to the content, which is grasped in the spirit. This is also the case when contemplating the human being. If one contemplates man according to natural laws in the right way, one does not approach what man truly is, but only what is manifested through these laws. One must realize that when the natural laws are applied to man it is as if one were standing before a picture and only knows that's blue, that's red and is incapable through inner, soul of through inner soul activity of associating the blue and the red to what these colors manifest. One must perceive something quite different when applying natural laws to a mineral substance and to a human being. From a spiritual viewpoint, in the case of the mineral, it is as though one were directly touching what one sees. When applying natural laws to man, it is as though one stands 
as apart from him, as one stands apart from a picture which one does not see with the eye of the soul, e-y-e, but merely brushes with the fingertips. Once one understands, in contemplating man, that he is the image of something, then one is in the right soul disposition to advance to what this image represents. And the image nature of man does not manifest itself in one explicit way. A sense organ is essentially least of all an image, at most a kind of manifestation of itself like a mineral. One can come closest to the sense organs through natural laws. Just look at the wonderful organization of the human eye, EYE. One roughly grasps this organization by means of natural laws. And it is similar with the other sense organs, although it is not so clearly the case as with the eye. It is because the sense organs demonstrate a kind of self-containment in their forms. They are included in the organism as completed formations, and as such they impart perception of the outer world. This is not the case with the rhythmic functions in the organism. They do not manifest themselves as something complete. A continual generation and degeneration of the organism takes place in them. If the sense organs were like the rhythmic system, man would perceive the outer world as being in a state of continuous becoming. The sense organs manifest themselves like a picture that hangs on a wall. The rhythmic system appears before us like what happens when we contemplate the canvas and the painter in the process of creating a picture. The picture does not yet exist, but it is in the process of coming into existence. What has come into being remains at first existent. This contemplation has to do only with the process of becoming. In contemplating the human rhythmic system, the expiring, the deconstruction immediately connects to the coming into being, to the construction. The rhythmic system manifests a becoming image. The soul's act of dedicating itself to the observation of an object which is a finished image may be called imagination. The experience which must unfold in order to grasp an image in the state of becoming is, on the other hand, inspiration. It is a different story when one contemplates the metabolism and movement system of the human organism. It is as though one were standing before an empty canvas, paint pots and an artist who has not yet begun to paint. If one wishes to grasp the metabolic and limbs system, one must develop a capacity for observance which has as little to do with what the senses see when observing the paint pots and empty canvas as these have to do 
with the artist's finished picture. And the activity which the person experiences in his soul, spiritually, from the metabolism and limb movements, is comparable to when observing the painter, empty canvas and paint pots, he experiences the subsequently painted picture. Intuition must be at work in the soul in order to grasp the metabolic and limbs system. It is necessary that the active members of the anthroposophical society concentrate in this way on the being which is the basis of anthroposophical considerations. For not only should what is gained from anthroposophical cognition be recognized, but also how one is able to experience this knowledge. What has been explained here will lead into the following guidelines. Number 38 If one has been able to contemplate man in his image nature and in his revealed spirituality in accordance with the indications given in the previous guidelines, one stands in the spiritual world where one sees man as an active spiritual being and also sees the psychic moral laws in their reality. For the moral world order appears now as the earthly likeness of an order belonging to the spiritual world. And the physical and moral world orders bond themselves in unity. Number 39. The will comes from within man. It is completely foreign to the natural laws gained from the outer world. The sense organ's similarity to external natural objects is discernible. The will cannot yet manifest itself in their activities. The essence which is revealed in the rhythmic system is less similar to everything external. The will can intervene in this system to a certain extent. But this system is still involved with becoming and dying. The will is still bound by this. <clears throat> Number 40. The nature of the metabolism and limbs system manifests itself through matter and their processes. But the matter and the processes have nothing more to do with it than the painter and his tools have to do with the finished picture. The will can therefore directly intervene. If one grasps the spiritual human being behind the one who lives and acts according to natural laws, one finds in him a field in which one can become aware of the will's working. Conversely, in the field of the senses, will remains a meaningless word, and whoever seeks to understand it in this field fails to recognize the true nature of the will and replaces it with something else. In the previous guideline, excuse me, number 41, in the previous guideline, the nature of the human will was described. 
Only by becoming aware of this nature is one in a cosmic sphere in which destiny, karma, works. As long as one only sees the laws which dominate in connection with natural things and natural facts, he remains far from the laws which apply to destiny. Number 42. By grasping the laws of destiny in this way, it is also apparent that this destiny cannot be realized through a single physical earthly life. As long as man lives in the same physical body, he can only carry out the moral content of his will to the extent the physical body within the physical world allows. Only when he passes through the gates of death into the spiritual world is the spiritual nature of the will able to achieve its true effect. There the good and the bad will achieve spiritual fulfillment in their corresponding results for the first time. Number 43 By means of this spiritual fulfillment, man configures himself between death and a new birth. In his essence, he becomes an image of what he did during his life on earth. Through this, his essence, he configures his physical life upon his return to earth. The spiritual, which affects destiny, can only carry out its task in the physical when its corresponding causation has previously withdrawn into the spiritual world. For what is experienced in life as destiny is not built upon the results of physical occurrences, but proceeds from the spiritual. Number 44. A transition to the spiritual scientific consideration of the question of destiny should be made using examples from the life of individual persons. How the path of destiny affected the course of his life for example, how a youthful experience, surely not carried out in full freedom by the person involved, can influence his entire later life. Number 45. The meaning of the fact that during the course of physical life, between birth and death, the good can seem unhappy and evil at least apparently happy should be depicted. Examples in pictures are more important in discussing these things than theoretical explanations, because they better prepare for spiritual scientific considerations. Number 46. In cases of destiny which occur in a person's life in a way that cannot be explained by his particular present earth life, it should be shown that such occurrences quite obviously point directly to previous lives. It should, of course, be clear that in expounding such things nothing oblig ob obligatory is meant, rather that something is said which orients thinking towards spiritual scientific considerations of the question of destiny. Number 47. 
only the smallest part of the formation of man's destiny enters into ordinary consciousness. It works mostly in the unconscious. But it is just by the unveiling of the threads of destiny that it becomes clear how unconscious content can become conscious. Those who claim that the temporarily unconscious must remain in the area of the unknown and create therewith a limit to knowledge are completely mistaken. For every element of his destiny that a person unveils, he lifts a previously unconscious content into the realm of consciousness. Number 48. By such unveiling, one becomes aware that destiny is not arranged during life between birth and death. Rather is one impelled just by this question of destiny to consider the life between death and a new birth. <clears throat> Number 49. By directing the consideration of human experience beyond one's self and toward the question of destiny, one achieves a true feeling for the relationship between the material and the spiritual worlds. By observing destiny's interplay, one is already standing in the spiritual world. For the interconnections of destiny are not at all related to materiality. Number 50. It is extremely important to point out how the consideration of the history of humanity is vitalized when one shows that by passing from epoch to epoch in their repeated earth lives, it is the human souls themselves which carry over the results of one historical epoch into the other. Number 51. One may easily object that viewing history in this way takes from it its elementary and naive elements, but this is unjust. On the contrary, it deepens the view of history because it allows it within man's innermost being. History thus becomes richer and more concrete, not poorer and abstracter. In the depiction one must only develop heart and appreciation for the living human soul, into which one thereby achieves profound insight. Number 52. The epochs in life between death and a new life should be considered in relation to the forming of karma. The quote-unquote how of this consideration shall be the subject of the following guidelines. Number 53. The unfolding of human life between death and a new birth occurs in successive stages. During several days after passing through the portals of death, the foregoing life is perceived in images. At the same time, this perception shows the detachment of the bearer, physical body, of this life from the human psychic spiritual being. Number 54. In the time which comprises approximately one-third of the foregoing earthly life, the soul experiences the effect that life must have in the sense of an ethically just world order. 
during this experience, the intention is born to form the next earthly life as compensation for the foregoing one. Number 55. A purely spiritual, long-enduring epoch follows, during which the human soul prepares its coming earth life in the sense of karma, together with other karmically conjoined human souls and with beings of the higher hierarchies. Number 56. The epoch between death and a new birth, during which the person's karma is prepared, can only be described based on the results of spiritual research. But it must always be borne in mind that reason is enlightened by this description. Reason only needs to be only needs to objectively consider the essence of the reality of sense perception to realize that it also points to the spiritual as a cadaver's form points to the life once inherent in it. Number 57. The results of spiritual science show that between death and birth man belongs to spiritual realms just as he belongs to the three realms of nature mineral, vegetable and animal between birth and death. Number 58. The mineral kingdom is recognizable in the present form of the human being. The vegetable, etheric body, is the foundation of his becoming and growing. The animal, astral body, the impulse for the unfolding of his feeling and will. The crowning of conscious feeling and will in the self-conscious spirit immediately makes the relation of man to the spiritual world apparent. Number 59. An objective consideration of thinking shows that normal consciousness's thoughts have no existence of their own, that they only appear as mirror images of something. But the individual feels himself alive in thoughts. The thoughts do not live, rather he lives in the thoughts. This life originates in the spiritual beings of the third hierarchy, a spiritual realm in the sense of my outline of occults, of esos, uh, excuse me, a spiritual realm in the sense of my title, Outline of Esoteric Science. Close parenthesis. Number 60. Extending this objective consideration to feelings shows that although they arise from the physical organism, they cannot originate there, and that their life includes an essence which is independent of the physical organism. Man can feel himself to be in the natural world with his physical organism, but it is just then, when he does this with self-knowledge, that he experiences himself to be in a spiritual realm through his feelings. It is the realm of the second hierarchy. Number 61. As a being of will, Man does not turn to his physical organism, but to the outer world. He doesn't ask 
when he wants to walk. Uh, what do I feel in my feet? But what is out there at... Uh, let me read that again, number 61. As a being of will, man does not turn to his physical organism, but to the outer world. He doesn't ask when he wants to walk. Quote, what do I feel in my feet? But what is out there as a goal I want to reach? Close quote. He forgets his organism when he wills. In his will he doesn't belong to his nature. He belongs to the spirit realm of the first hierarchy. <clears throat> On understanding spirit and experiencing destiny. To the communications and considerations which are imparted to the members, I would like now to add something which can be appropriate for enhanced understanding of the guidelines. Understanding of anthroposophical knowledge can be enhanced when the human soul is continually reminded of the relation between man and world. When a person directs his attention to the world in which he is born and dies, he is initially surrounded by a plenitude of sense impressions. He thinks about these sense impressions. When he is conscious of the following, quote, I have thoughts about what my senses reveal to me about the world, close quote, he is ready for self-knowledge. He can say to himself, quote, unquote, I, uh, capital I, live in my thoughts. The world gives me the opportunity to experience myself in thought. I find myself in my thoughts when I contemplate the world. Continuing in this contemplation of the world, he removes the world from consciousness and the I enters into it. He ceases to think of the world. He begins to experience the self. When, conversely, he brings his attention to his inner life, in which the world is mirrored, the events of his life related to destiny emerge in which the human self participates, from the point in time he can remember. He experiences his own being in the sequence of this destiny experience. To the extent one is conscious of this, quote, I have lived a destiny with myself, close quote, he can introduce contemplation of the world. He can say to himself, quote, I was not alone in my destiny. The world intervened in my experience. I wanted this or that. The world flowed into my will. I find the world in my will, in that I experience this will in self-contemplation. Thus living into his self, this self departs from consciousness and the world enters. He ceases to experience the self. He begins to be aware of the world with his feelings. I extend thinking out into the world. I find myself there. I submerge in myself. I find the world there. When one strongly, excuse me, when one senses this 
strongly enough, he stands within the riddles of world and human existence. Then to feel, quote, I struggle to grasp the world by thinking, but it is merely me trapped in this thinking, close quote, which reveals the first world riddle. To feel in his self that he has been formed by destiny and in this forming to sense the world's happening, happenings, excuse me, this points him to the second world riddle. By experiencing this riddle of world and man, a state of mind germinates in which one can encounter anthroposophy in such a way that he receives an impression within that awakens his interest. Let me read that again. By experiencing this riddle of world and man, a state of mind germinates in which one can encounter anthroposophy in such a way that he receives an impression within that awakens his interest. For anthroposophy maintains the following. A spiritual experience exists which does not ignore the world in thinking. One can also still live in thinking. It provides an inner experience in meditation in which one does not lose the sense world but wins the spirit world. Instead of penetrating in the capital I in a way which makes one feel that the sense world is disappearing, one penetrates into the spirit world in which one feels the I strengthened. Furthermore, anthroposophy indicates an experience of destiny exists in which one does not lose the self. In his destiny, one can also realize himself as active. In the unegoistical contemplation of human destiny, anthroposophy provides the experience by which one does not only learn to love one's own existence, but also the world. Instead of staring at the world which carries the eye on waves of happiness and despair, one finds the eye that designs its own destiny through willing. Instead of ramming against the world by which the eye is shattered, he pushes through to his self and feels united with world events. Man's destiny is prepared by the world which his senses reveal. If he finds his own activity in the events of destiny, his self does not only arise from his own inner being, but also from the sense world. If one can even vaguely feel how the world appears as spiritual in the self and how in the sense world the self proves to be active, one is already on a sure path to understanding anthroposophy. For then he will develop awareness that the spirit world may be described by anthroposophy, which is then grasped by the self. And this awareness will also develop an understanding for the fact that in the sense world the self can be found in a different way 
than that of sinking into one's interior. Anthroposophy finds the self by showing how not only sense perceptions are revealed by the sense world, but also the consequences of previous existence and previous earth lives. One can gaze out into the sense world and say, quote, Here is not only color, sound, warmth. Here the soul's experiences work which this soul has lived through during its present earthly existence. Close quote. And he can look into himself and say, quote, Here is not only my eye. Here a spiritual world reveals itself. Close quote. By means of such understanding, the person touched by the world man, Riddle, can find himself together with an initiate who, according to his insights, speaks of the outer sense world as where not only sense perceptions are made manifest, but also the impressions about what human souls have done in their previous existence and previous earth lives and who must describe the inner self-world as revealing spiritual relationships which are as extraordinary and effective as those of the sense world. The members who wish to be active should consciously synchronize what the questioning human soul feels as the world-man riddle with what initiate knowledge has to say when it reveals a bygone world and when it provides an, an apperception of a spirit world through the strengthening of the soul. <clears throat> By working in this way, the members who wish to be active can make the anthroposophical society into a true preschool of the initiate's school. The Christmas conference wished to forcefully indicate this, and whoever correctly understands that conference will continue to carry out this indication until a sufficient understanding can again give the society new tasks. The following guidelines refer to this indication, and the next section will begin with guideline number 62.